0: of studying on site, there we go, is this this one or this, hello, oh, it's this one, <laughs> all right, was how uh, geography played such a crucial part in the teaching, what was going on in that city and so forth, and that's certainly true in this city of Philadelphia, uh, we see here these huge pillars, these are pillars of a huge temple that was in downtown Philadelphia, and yet, in 17 A.D., there was a horrible earthquake through all of Asia there, modern-day Turkey, and it destroyed the city of Philadelphia. And all that was left, and all that's left of that ancient city today are these pillars to that temple. Now, interestingly, on the temple pillars, they found that there were engraved names to uh, people that were honoring the god of of that temple or goddess of that temple but they also found that there were some names and we saw it that were blotted out which we studied about last week that they had fell into disfavor somehow with uh, the city officials or the keepers of that particular temple all that we're going to see is going to play in to the understanding of this church in philadelphia so in this city of Philadelphia, which was known as the doorway city to the east to carry the whole philosophy of the Greek culture further on, and that's important to the text, in this city there was a group of people who believed in Jesus Christ. They were the church, the bride of Christ. And there was a messenger sent. The word angel means um, messenger either some believe to the pastor of that church or to an angel assigned to that church that's what my particular view is but it says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia again this church was in Philadelphia but we need to make certain that Philadelphia doesn't get in the church Jesus said I want you in the world but I I don't want the world in you protect them from the evil one. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, this city that had been destroyed by an earthquake, rebuilt by Rome and renamed Neo-Caesarea, the new Caesar. The city, dedicated the city, and yet it was also known as the city of earthquakes. There were earthquakes that happened there all the time, and therefore... After this happened, the people were afraid to live in the city. The city might fall. So you know what they did? They found ruins where they had moved out and were living outside the city in small buildings built along this major artery of trade, which seemed horrible. But then again, if that major artery of trade and carrying this philosophy was there... What a wonderful place for the church to be where they could have an influence upon all those coming through. So what seemed to be a bad thing turned out to be a good thing. They were going to live up to their name and be the city of brotherly love by being able to share the message. You see, this is the, the evangelistic church. Jesus wants a church that's evangelistic. One that will take every opportunity, even opportunities that seem bad, and think of how could I use this for good to bring the gospel to these people. So I assume they sat around and talked about how terrible it was that their home was destroyed in the city and they were afraid to stay in the city. And yet some said, well, hey, this make the most of where we're at right now. Let's quote, bloom right where we're planted. Who's this letter from? It's from the words of the holy one, the true one. The word holy means unique or set apart. And then the true one in opposition to false. The plumb one in contrast to being crooked. The trustworthy one in contrast to that which cannot be trusted. The one in whom there is no guile. You can trust him. That's Jesus you can trust his words. Listen to his words. It's from the one who has the key of David who opens and no one will shut and shut. And no one opens. Well, the key of David, what is it? To really understand it, on your own, go back and study Isaiah 22 where there was a man named Shebna who was put in charge of the king's uh, temple or castle, and uh, but he was untrustworthy. He was not holy. He was not true. And the key was taken away from him and given to another man, Eliakim, who was holy and true. But the key of David would be the the key to the kingdom. The key to David's presence. And it speaks of authority. I assume uh, most of us here have a set of keys with us to our car right now. Maybe there's a house key on there. It means you have authority over that. You have ownership over it. It says Jesus has the key of David, the whole Davidic line. Jesus is called, the at the end of Revelation, he's the root and the offspring of David. That's, and he's also called the door. It says that I open up doors that nobody will shut, and when I shut a door, nobody opens it because I have the keys. Now, what does he mean by door, this key of David? We'll look at that here in just a little moment. But he says, I have a commendation. You know, uh, so, uh, the last week, the church got no commendation. Just went right and said, I haven't complained against you. But this is, this is really a good church. This church, you'd want to join this church. I know your works. He says, I know. I know what you do. And he commends them for it. We need to understand that Jesus knows what's going on. He knows our works. Now, works do not save us. We know that uh, from Scripture. That's so clear. But then again, what, what part do works play? Why even do good works then? I shared, I think, a few weeks ago that a teacher that I respect said this. Never teach Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 without including verse 10 or it will be imbalanced. And that's this for by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not uh, by works, lest any man should boast. And then it says, For we are his workmanship, we've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we ought to walk therein. What if a person never walks in good works? never gives any indication that they are a new creation in Christ, then I believe that person ought to question, have I really come to faith, true faith in Jesus Christ, if my life gives no evidence of that at all? I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which nobody is about to shut. (laughs) You see, their doors to their homes had all been shut up. The door to their temple had been shut up in a sense. But he says, I open doors that nobody is going to be able to shut. Now, we're going to see here in a moment, it means the door of ministry. And it can't be shut. An earthquake can't shut it. I'll use the earthquake to open up other doors that you never thought of out along the major highway, which is where you're going to live now because you're afraid of the earthquakes. You know, uh, how does God open up doors? I mean, what, for instance, why am I here? How did I ever get here? Well, uh, Scott's daughter, I was at her church and doing the same thing, and she told Scott about it. Next thing you know, here I am. Uh, Now, what you wouldn't know is beforehand, I had just Finished the church and I prayed to God I said God send me where I'm needed so I believe for some reason God said okay Oakland Drive needs you there for right now and Scott has said that should we push on doors how, how aggressive should we be <laughs> my grandmother in uh I, I my grandmother, when she passed away, she told me for years, Craig, I think the only reason why I'm still alive is to pray for you. When she died, I was scared to death. I was going to fall apart. But she rem- one time I remember she said, Craig, a lot of times I don't know how to pray for you, so this is my prayer. If he comes to a door that he won't go through, if he comes to a door that you want him to go through and he won't go through, push him. <laughs> And I thank my grandmother for that prayer. I don't know that we should get pushy, but we ought to be praying for open doors. We ought to be knocking, and then we ought to wait, and then courageously walk through those doors. And don't be surprised at those doors. Listen to a few other passages where it talks about open doors. This is Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. I'm going to stay on at Ephesus because a great door of effective ministry has been opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Just because there's adversaries, don't think that's not a door that you're to go through. It'd be easy to think, well, that can't be what God wants me to do because it looks tough. No. um, Paul said that there's many adversaries in Ephesus... We certainly see that in the Book of Acts, but it's an effective ministry and an open door. And we have the the Book of Ephesians to prove that. Acts fourteen, verse twenty seven. Paul and Barnabas reported how the Lord had opened the door of faith for the Gentiles. Surprise, surprise! Have you ever known somebody came to faith and you thought, "I can't believe it! I never imagined that person would be open." And that was a surprise. That's how they felt about the Gentiles. He said, it, The Lord opened up that door. Second Corinthians 2.12. In Troas, I found the Lord had opened a door for me. He was traveling. He said, hey, God has an open door of ministry here. Colossians 4.3. Pray that God may open a door for our message. We ought to be praying for it as well. Not just waiting around. In uh, Philippi. It says this, Paul says, what has happened to me, that is getting thrown in prison, has really served to advance the gospel for which I am in chains. (laughs) He said, who would have thought? They threw me in jail thinking that was it. What am I doing? I'm leading those, the jailers, to the Lord, and people are really encouraged because I'm in jail and they're advancing the gospel even more. So what seemed bad turned out to be good. He had a jail ministry. Recently, you may have seen where John MacArthur out in California, they were going to throw him in prison for holding services. And he's 80-some years he's old, and he goes, you know, that would be interesting. I've never had a jail ministry. <laughs> and I think this is what he was thinking about. It will inspire others, but also uh, I'll have a ministry while I'm in there. You know, we need to be creative with open doors and see the ones that are around us. I remember years ago reading where some Girl Scout sold the most cookies a girl had ever, one Girl Scout had ever sold before. Do you know where she sold them at? She lived up in Minnesota, right where there's uh, these massive, uh, almost cities that go out and go ice fishing. And uh, if you've ever seen that, drive cars out there. They have really nice ice shanties and so forth. She got to thinking, I bet those guys would eat cookies. So she loaded up a sled went out there. She, net, she everybody was hungry out there. That girl got creative on how to sell her cookies. Sometimes things seem bad and are really good. One of the highlights of the past uh, my time at the church where I was at, two miles down the road, there was a mall. Now, this was years ago, and they started tearing down good malls because people just don't shop at malls anymore. Well, there were a lot of mall walkers uh, at the that mall. And uh, they would congregate there, and it was their social time, you know, senior citizens. Well, it was announced they were going to tear down Scottsdale Mall. Man, they were so mad. Perfectly good mall. They're going to tear it down. But the real thing was, where are we going to walk? (laughs) Well, at that time, I used to uh, go down to the YMCA in the morning, and the mayor of South Bend was down there. They just had an article in the paper where they came to him really mad about where are we going to walk at? And uh, he said, I'm going to try and find a school that's been closed down and open up where you could walk in the school. Well, it just so happened, we had built a new uh, gymnasium at our church with a walking track around it, carpeted, 15 times around as a mile. I saw the mayor down at the wine. I said, hey, I said, you know, I told him about that. And I said, they can come down to our church and walk. It became one of the best ministries we've ever had uh, the mayor put it out, and all of a sudden, all these people are coming. Doctors are sending people to our church. It's packed, and from 8 to 4 each day, everybody can walk around the track. And uh, we put a coffee time there, so they all would just congregate there and uh, became one of the greatest ministries. Still is going. As a matter of fact, during COVID, they actually kept it open, but you had to make an appointment and walk alone, <laughs> Well, that didn't work out for a lot of people. They didn't like it. But what seemed to be a bad thing, but you needed to... uh, Let me say one other thing. I never came back and had an elders meeting and said, hey, do you think it'd be okay if we'd open our walking track to to the community? Because, this is really important here, I knew that it didn't have to be asked. This is what we do. We use every opportunity to reach out to others. Another one was we had skateboarders coming out and skateboarding and ripping off the, the, the lip of our concrete. And in um, a board meeting, one of the guys said, uh, who uh, happened to be an insurance agent himself on the board, he goes, we got to tell the skateboarders to stay away from here. And he said, besides that, we got liability. I said, uh, wow, do we really want to do that? How, that? how much would that cost us to uh, have insurance for that? Probably about $2,000 a year. We had a surgeon on our board. I looked over him. I said, how much does your malpractice insurance cost you a year? It was way more than that. And I said, wouldn't saving souls of skateboarders be worth two grand? You know what we did? We built an outdoor skateboard park. And this is before they were in cities. And there were tailgate parties of parents' night. It was another, another great ministry. What I'm saying is this. Always be open to thinking through. Okay, could this be an open door from God that we never thought of? That it's a need in our community. Be open to that. I think that's what Paul's saying. Even even prison can be like that. God can turn things around for good. Uh, Bart Millard of Mercy Me wanted to be a football player, but had a horrible injury, so he decided maybe start singing instead. <laughs> And now we know the rest of this story. I know that you have but little power. (laughs) What he's saying, I know you're weak. I I know that um, you don't have buildings and budgets and uh, bodies, many bodies. Those are three things all churches are after, right? Buildings, bodies, and bucks. (laughs) He said, I know you don't have any of those. Uh, You live outside the city, being a Christian costs you, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You know, that's the most important thing to Jesus. We think, wow, Jesus is really impressed by the buildings or the bucks or how many bodies are in the pews. I think Jesus is more concerned with this. Have you kept my word? Have you stayed true to my name? Isn't that what you'd want in a marriage? Somebody that is staying true to the relationship, keeping my word, not denied my name. They had no military power. They had no political power. They were small in number. And yet Jesus says, you're powerful because you're staying true to me. Look at verse 9. Behold. And again, whenever you see the word behold, it means stop. Pay special note to this. It's all important. This is really important. You better get this. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I'm going to make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. There's going to be a great reversal. You see, there's really only two synagogues. The true synagogue, the true church, it's an assembly of God. And then there's the assembly, the synagogue of Satan. In that day, there were Jews that had what was called the the, the exemption. It was an established religion ahead of time, so the Roman Empire honored them and didn't make them do things like uh, burn incense to Caesar. But the Christians, they did. Well, Jews are becoming Christians, and then their association with the synagogue, the synagogue disassociated from them, And even said they were cannibals because of taking communion, eating flesh, drinking blood, misinterpreting that. And he said, they're going to come down, and they're going to have to bow down and acknowledge that it was you that I loved, that that was the truth. There will be a grand reversal someday. Got to be patient. And that's what it says in verse 10. because you have kept my word about patient endurance. Huh. I talked about my grandma. My grandmother was very much a part of our lives, uh, our whole lives. Uh, my father built a house next door, and then later in life we moved and he built a place for my grandmother next door, and one time she lived with us and so forth. But my grandmother in later life didn't have a lot going on, that's for sure, but uh, whenever we were going to go someplace, like at half an hour to an hour ahead of time, she would be standing by the door Remember, she always had this black purse over her arm, you know, and she would stand there going like this, twirling her thumbs. You know what grandma was saying? When are we going to go? When are we going to go? I said, grandma, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. She needed to have some patient endurance. <laughs> well, quite frankly, I think a lot of us are sitting here thinking, when are you coming? When are you coming? When are you coming? When are you going to straighten things out? You know, when's the kingdom coming? It says, just be patient. You've kept My word about patient endurance. It's an interesting word in uh, Greek. It's makrothumia, which means to patiently hold up under difficult circumstances or people. Revelation alone, listen to this. I, John, your brother, in the patient endurance that are in Jesus, chapter 2, verse 1. To Ephesus, I know your patient endurance. To Smyrna, 2.10. To Smyrna, be faithful even to death. Um, to Thyatira, I know all about your patient endurance. 14.12. This calls for patient endurance of the saints. What does? The tribulation period. Listen to this. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such uh from sinners, such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, which Scott spoke about earlier. Anybody here ever broken out, sweating blood from your struggle against sin and doing the will of God? No. He said, consider Jesus who endured, patiently endured. then he says this um, to those who patiently endure I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth that is a very controversial little passage of scripture now it was spoken to people under the Roman Empire and I think it had application then I think it has application for all time and perhaps even at the very end in speaking about the rapture. There's all kinds of views on this. Do you believe in a pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-tribulation rapture, no rapture at all, Uh, what's called pre-wrath rapture? Uh, It would determine how you uh, interpret this. But these people are going through really rough times, and he said, well, I want to encourage you. I'm going to keep you from... The hour, a particular period of time of extreme testing of people on the earth. Now, nine times in scripture, this expression, those who dwell on the earth is used every single time. It's speaking about non-believers. There's going to come a special hour of testing of earth dwellers. Those who don't have a citizen in heaven, their only citizen is on this earth. And it's coming upon the whole world. Some interpreters say the whole Roman world of that day. That certainly was true. But could it mean that one time in the future, there's coming an hour, a specific time of intense trial on those who are earth dwellers. This is how they define themselves and I'm going to keep you from it. Now, to complicate things even more so, in the original language, this word kept from can also be interpreted through. The word from and through is the same. Why did God have to make it so hard? <laughs> Meaning this. Uh, Noah and his family were kept From and through the flood, right? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the fire and were kept from the flames. The children of Israel went through the Red Sea but were kept from being drowned by the Red Sea. It's speaking about protection for sure. Does that mean that we'll be taken out of the world When things, when it goes through this difficult time, or will he see us through the difficult time? And do you know what my answer is? I don't know. (laughs) I've been on every side of that fence. I went to a conference one time where a great scholar got up that spoke on pre-tribulation, pre-millennialism. And right after him, a guy got up and spoke on post-millennialism. And after him, a guy got up and spoke on amillennialism. And they all did it from the Bible. And you know what? I agree with every one of them. (laughs) And you can't agree with every one of them because they all had a biblical foundation for it. I just walked out and I thought, you know what? Jesus has come back and he's doing it on his own calendar. But my responsibility is this, to make certain that I'm his. And he's not going to let me go through that, I know this, that time of testing of people who are defined by their citizenship on this earth and do not have a citizenship in heaven. Verse 11 says this, I'm coming soon. I, I think our emphasis shouldn't be on when, soon. Well, how long is soon? (laughs) When is soon? I think the emphasis is I am coming. Look forward to my coming and just be ready. Hold on to what you have. Don't get disheartened because it seems like it's taking forever, which Peter says there'll be those who say, hey, you've been talking about this since the beginning of time. He said, well, I'm real patient. I don't want anybody to perish. Nevertheless, the day of the Lord will come. I'm coming. I'm coming soon. Hold on. To what you have, hang in there, stay true. You know, I heard, and I'm certain it's a fictitious story about this uh, Canadian goose that um, got injured, and some people uh, nursed it back to health. The next year, when all the V formations were flying over, that Canadian goose just tried to fly, but wasn't quite healed up yet; couldn't make it. Well, that year, the next year, ate really well. Next year, when they flew over, he tried to fly. But he's too fat, <laughs> couldn't get up. Third year, never even looked up. <laughs> he didn't hold on. He forgot who he was. And uh, we shouldn't forget who we are and what is going to happen. So that nobody, nobody will be able to take your crown away from you. Scripture speaks about crowns. Here's a few of them. James 1.12 says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because uh, once he stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord's going as promised to those who love him. 2 uh, Timothy chapter 4 says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now, therefore, there is laid up for me, what? The crown of righteousness, which Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. Not just to me, but to all those who who have loved his appearing. Paul was very fond of using uh, military and athletic metaphor to describe the Christian life. The difficulties, the training, the uh, commitment. I don't know that that's the uh, type of metaphors that we would use today. Um, You know, the old song, are you a soldier of the cross? That wouldn't be popular today. But... uh, Paul said, we're in a battle. There's war out there. (laughs) Satan wants to destroy, steal, kill, destroy. He's the father of lies. And then I love the fact that he says, I got a reward. Him who overcomes, we've seen that expression all the time. He who knows me is true to me. 1 John 5, 4 says, who is born of God? Whoever is born of God overcomes this world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world our faith. People, him who has true faith, he who really belongs to me, knows me, will overcome, will be a victor. Let me state this true believers with true faith falter at times, yet they're fruitful and faithful. To the end. Meaning this. uh, There isn't any character in scripture we look at. Outside of Jesus Christ. That didn't have a bad moment or two. They didn't fall. You know. uh, Most of you know I hiked the entire Appalachian Trail. And I can prove it. Do you know why? My legs are totally scarred up. From falling. I fell every single day. But I got up. In the Christian life. We fail every single day. Do you know a unique thing of this church? I've never seen another church I think is good, and I think it might be characteristic of the church of Christ. Often you will say, um, I want to confess my sins and repent. There are those that teach sort of like you have a one-time repentance at salvation, and then you go on. No, we have a lifetime of repentance, of seeing new things, turning around saying, forgive me for that, Lord. Forgive me for that. Not so... The marriage is over with. You know, I, I, my wife and I constantly say, forgive me. Um, I say it more than she does. <laughs> but uh, that's not so that she won't divorce me. It's just the way relationships work. He who is truly mine, has true faith, is going to falter and fall sometimes. But they're fruitful and faithful to the end. They hold on. They don't forget who they are. I'm going to make him, and this is where the play on it is so good, I'm going to make him a pillar in the temple of my God. I'm going to make him a a pillar that will never fall down. And never again will he leave it. Remember, they ran out of the city, left everything behind, lived in tents and little makeshift huts along the main thoroughfare, lived outside the city. So that's not going to happen. And remember, they renamed that city after it was rebuilt, Philadelphia, to Neo-Caesarea, the new city of Caesar. I'm going to write on him the name of my God, not Caesar, but God, and the name of the city of my God, not the new Caesar. The new Jerusalem, city of peace, that's coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. I don't understand all what that is, but it's good. I know that a bride takes the groom's name. I know that the bride takes the groom's home. And Jesus said, "I have a new name that I will give to you." When is all this going to happen? When he repeat when he completes building his house, behold um Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions, homes. I go to prepare a place for you. And then when it's complete, I'll come and I'll get you and take you unto myself so that where I am, there you shall be also. A bride never knew for sure in Jesus' day when she was going to get married, uh, when the, the wedding itself would take place, because the son had to complete building the house until his father would say, That's fine, go get her. And and that's the way it is with Jesus. Once Jesus has the house built, God the Father would say, Go get your bride and bring her. Just as um, geography means so much uh in these uh passages there's some geography in Michigan that I really like. I love a place called Pictured Rocks up in uh, Lake Superior. You ever been up there, the uh, Lakeshore? Up there, there's a rock called Chapel Rock, and uh, at the Pictured Rock National Lakeshore, right there it is. Anybody ever seen that? All right. Believe it or not, I had a group there one time, and that's very protected. I looked up there, and some girl in our group had crawled across that taproot to the other. If she got caught, she'd have been in jail still. It's like, you don't do that. You know, that's, that's that tree's life support. But I tell you what, I love that tree because that tree has been through some storms, hasn't it? Look at what all the erosion. And yet that tree is holding on for dear life, but has a taproot over to the land where there's lots of nutrition to keep it alive. I think that's a great picture of our life in Christ. We go through storms. We should be toppled over. We look kind of weather-beaten. But do we have our taproot in Jesus Christ to a source that will never be destroyed? And then another picture I like, and I've not been to this place, but I love it, uh, is this place here. This is Turnip Rock at Port Austin, Michigan, in Lake Huron, ...at the very point of the thumb. You know, Indiana... ...somebody tells you where you live... ...or asks you where you live... ...we don't have the privilege you guys have... ...of saying, well, hold up your hand, you know... and right there is where I live... ...or whatever, you know... ...or you guys are kind of right... ...fairly close to the middle, I guess... ...a little west. But what I like about this... ...when it teaches something else is this. Uh, Those trees are all holding on for dear life, um, but not alone. Do you know what they've discovered? How they how they stay up? All their roots are intertangled. They're all in a support with one another. They all are holding each other together on the rock. King David said, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. And... uh Hold on to that solid rock that was laid before the foundations of the world, one song says. Are you tapped into something that will keep you through the storms of life, like Chapel Rock? And then, are you a part of a community like this? It's not good to be all alone. But if you intertangle your roots with others who know Christ as well, There's added strength in that. And that's what God wants for Oakland Drive Community Church, um, Christian Church, rather. Uh, He wants you to be bound together in love, supporting one another, because you all have unity in Jesus Christ, your rock. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these letters 2,000 years ago, practically, that are as fresh as the morning newspaper only true. And uh, we pray that we live our individual lives by this, that uh, we have our ears, that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to us and what the Spirit is saying to our local church here as well. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen.